Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com. We're glad that you all can be with us. Also, tuning in through online affiliates around the world. We're glad that you all can be with us as well. If you're someone who enjoys history or at least being able to learn some lessons or being entertained by individuals that you may have heard about, I think the book by our next guest is really going to be something you want to add to your reading list. We're excited to welcome best-selling author Nancy Haran to our broadcast. She's celebrating a great new book that I had a chance to read. It's called The House of Lincoln. We're going to talk to Nancy not only about her own love of history, but what it's been like for her to share the lives of these individuals that we've gotten to know, to be able to write her own stories and to see the way that readers are resonating with them. There's a lot in The House of Lincoln I think you guys are going to really enjoy. We'll talk to her about that. And, of course, we'll remind you how you can be able to stay connected with her. Nancy, thank you again for the time. really appreciate you stopping by. I'm delighted to be here. How are you? I'm doing really good, Nancy. Really enjoyed this book, and I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. So first of all, congratulations again on the House of Lincoln. You have been able Thank to you. write these books like Loving Frank and now this book. They really do not only, I think, pique our interest about individuals in history, Nancy, but also really get drawn into the stories you create around them. What has it been like mm-hmm. for you to see the way the readers have kind of followed you from book to book? Well, it's been great that readers have followed <laughs> me from book to book. Uh, Loving Frank uh, attracted a number of readers who have just stuck with my progress. I take a long time to write a book, so it's been quite a while. My first big book novel was 2007, and um, I've only produced three. So it, I de- deeply dive into a little narrow piece of history and just get pickled, you know. I yeah. And I love it. I love it. And I, I have loved learning about Lincoln and the people around him in particular because that's what this book is about. It's set in Springfield, Illinois. I grew up there. I was born and raised mm-hmm. there. And I thought I knew about Lincoln. And then I started to investigate I started to read and one thing that I had not been taught in school was about the um, 1908 race riot in Springfield Illinois Mm. and I felt that was really part of the history that should be included Uh, and so uh, that does that does happen the book covers uh, 1851 to 1908 and Nancy, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because one of the things, and I, I didn't get a chance to ask you uh, beforehand, so forgive me if I mispronounce it. Are, are the names pronounced Anna and Cal, or is it Anna? Oh, good question. Nobody asked me that. <laughs> it's it's okay. Anna. Yeah, it is I Anna. Just, okay. A, a Portuguese name. Now, Anna is not a, a based on an actual person, but uh, she's invented. But her history, her life, her family, uh, all that is based on a real thing that happened in Springfield. In 1849, there was a contingent of of uh, religious exiles from Madeira in Portugal who made their way via Trinidad to the United States and were promised a job in central Illinois, which did not pan out. But there were hundreds of them. 
that came to the middle of Illinois anyway, and the towns of Springfield and um, Jacksonville opened their arms and welcomed them. So to write about the immigrant experience was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to write about uh, the people around Lincoln. You know, people, there are many, many, many books about Lincoln, but I wanted to write a book about where he, he he chose to live in Springfield. He wasn't born there, but he lived there for 27 years, more than he lived anywhere else. And the people in that town and in that state uh, had my curiosity because I grew up there, but also because I felt they had a hand in shaping this kind of raw lawyer, this country lawyer, into a guy who turned out to be classified as the best president in the history of the United States by many people. So how did he get there, you know, I, I, and who did he know? So I, I have three narrators. One is the Portuguese girl, Anna, who um, is just a kid when she arrives. She's nine years old. Uh, and then a second narrator is um, Mary Lincoln, and I chose Mary because she was obvious, an obvious choice. She was so close to her husband and really an ambitious woman who wanted him to um, climb the political ladder. And then the third one is a, a family, an African-American free family from Kentucky, who moved to uh, Illinois and, and Springfield sort of mid-40s, 1840s. And... Um, their story, the more I learned about them, the more extraordinary I found them. Uh, and the narrator from that family is Spencer Donegan. And Spencer was an, uh, uh, a minister as well as a barber. He cut Lincoln's hair. And he is based on a real person. And uh, he uh, started the first AME church in Springfield. And I'm so glad you went through that, uh, Nancy, because the thing that struck me, and I think our audience will get this too as they dive into the book, even though the book is called The House of Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln is it, you know, is kind of almost like one of the secondary characters in this book, mm-hmm. which I love because we are able to get an idea of the inner workings of the house. I want to talk about Anna. The reason why I brought her up I thought was really fascinating because, and I'll talk around this so I don't spoil anything, Nancy, but what I thought was so interesting for us, well, one, was how she grew into herself, the responsibility she was given when it came yeah. to access to the house, the Lincoln home, but also mm-hmm. her own longing for what she had, you know, was without. And we kind of saw that in her letters, right, that she was able to write. What was that like for you to kind of immerse yourself in her situation where here she was around this place of, of, of privilege um, and, and going through the things that she was going through? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the process that a writer uh, goes through when you're writing characters. And, you know, you can you can formulate a character from the outside. And and when it's a historical character, you can find out what you can learn of the of the exterior of their lives, uh which in the case of Anna, you know, I just invented it, but you know, she had a mentor. She 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 did she would have gone to the Portuguese school to learn English. 
Um, she would have experienced certain things because the family first went to Trinidad, that kind of thing. But what is the interior of her life? I talked to a teacher and asked her, what does an 11-year-old girl really want? Uh, and she said she wants friends. Friends are the most important thing to her right then. And I just I sort of put myself as much as I could into my own 11th year. And into and that's, that's how old she is when, when she starts having a friendship with Cal, mm-hmm. uh, who is a girl her same age and has, who has kind of the same responsibilities Anna does. Both of their mothers work at an open-air market, and they are kind of in charge of a younger brother uh, while they sit on the steps of the state capitol and uh, talk to each other and just and Anna also has to translate for her mother because her mother never learns English but uh, you know it's it's just that that psychological projection and as much as you can um, feel empathy for a character and people do this all day long in their lives I just write it down but uh, I do ask other people, and people, there's so many places in the book to understand Mary Lincoln's horrible grief at the loss of her, of her first child, Eddie. I talked to a friend who described the kind of grief she had, and that all informs me. I mean, that's, uh, she, told, uh, she told a story of losing her husband and being so unable to function that she was a painter and she couldn't see color anymore. She lost the sense of color. And she went to some paints and all she could do was paint a lo- two lines next to each other or two circles next to each other. She was just incapacitated by that loss. And that made it into the book, if you recall. That's Fanny's yeah. experience when Anna tries to help her emerge from her grief. Right. And and I think too, too, you mentioned Cal. The thing that struck me about uh, about Cal in conversation was realizing that her mother wanted more for her, but she also wanted something for herself. Talk to talk us talk to us about that, Nancy, because I mm-hmm. love that at a time where you would not have thought that was even possible. The mm-hmm. idea that Cal realized that was something that was if not aspirational, something she could strive for. What was it like for you to kind of give her that gift of wanting to be more than her circumstances? Well, I just thought, she, I, I, I just felt that she had that kind of personality. Cal is, is um, there was a story that turned up in the 1890s written by um, an anonymous man who was uh, an Underground Railroad conductor. It turned out Many years later, in 2006, um, a public librarian in Springfield identified the man who wrote that because of the names he mentioned as neighbors and that kind of thing. And it was William Donegan, who was an Underground Railroad conductor as well as Abraham Lincoln's shoemaker. And um, in the tale, he told about a girl named uh, Hal, H-A-L, and a young girl had helped this Underground Railroad conductor with an escape of a very talkative young lady from the South who was a runaway enslaved girl. And she, uh, she made her way through Springfield thanks to William Donegan 
and also a girl named Hal. And I thought, wow, a, gr- a, a young girl who was willing to risk it to get into that scene and help him. So I decided that that Cal, who's based on Hal, that's all I ever got of her name, of that person, <laughs> but, but I thought Cal would have had courage like that. And, and she also was just from a family with two strong women in it and a little brother. And uh, I thought that she would have learned how to be strong but careful. Uh, she, she had to survive in that culture. At that time, there was the 1850 uh, Fugitive Slave Law that was a federal law that said that if a, a, a slave uh, managed to escape and go north, people were responsible. Not only the sheriff was responsible, or the law person in that town was responsible for taking that person into custody if they suspected them, but beyond that, the citizens were almost like deputized because they were supposed to help the sheriff. And it was just this terrible law. Uh, so imagine this girl knowing the consequences of doing what she was doing. I think she had to be brave, and she was, but she also had to live a secret life because she didn't want her best friend, Anna, to know anything about that. And so she didn't share very much, and also she was holding another secret, which I won't reveal, but um, she... She was a bit mysterious to her friend, and yet they had great adventures around town, and they did what kids did in those days, you know. But uh, but she was she was uh, the kind of girl that would have gone to Chicago. You know, she could have married a, a, a very boring young man who wanted to marry her, and she didn't. She went instead, and she became a hat maker. And that hat maker business is based on one of my forebears who was a hat maker in the in that same period of time a milliner wow so that's you know it's just you know it's so funny when when i'm writing this stuff and i'm sure other um historical fiction writers do the same you pull this stuff together and and it all you know you've got a chapter where this escape has to happen and you know and you find all these other pieces to put into it and you gather it from your life. You gather it from your friend's life. You gather it from what you've read and make it happen. And it's done in such a way that it really does draw you in. And it brings up the one time that I will talk about Lincoln because it it's funny in a book that's called The House of Lincoln. I mean, again, as I mentioned, as I was reading, I was thinking, you know what, these other characters are, are just as fascinating. But there is that conversation where it almost seems like you – you wrote, and I'm curious as to for our audience and for myself, Nancy, how much of this was based in, um, in, in, in what you discovered that he almost seemed like a reluctant leader, that he knew what 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 wasn't needed, but it wasn't like he was willing. He was jumping up and down, wanting to take um, take on the the role of of politics or even being president. What was it like for you to kind of because there's that one dialogue that he has where. He's saying, you know, what we don't need, and you know, and asking, okay, do you want do you want me to be president? 
he yeah, wanted to run for yeah. president, and then mm-hmm. and and so and even him saying at times it seems like something that you know he can kind of see. What was it like for you to kind of have that? Because we see something so different today, where people are are excited about power. He does not mm-hmm. seem like that was him. Well, I think he was ambitious, and his wife was certainly ambitious. I wanted to show in that scene how much his wife, Mary, influenced him and encouraged him, because she really did. Uh, One historian I read said, you know, Lincoln wouldn't have been a president if it hadn't been for Mary, and Mm. and I think it was Stephen Douglas was the other person who, who really debated him. Two people who just kind of pushed him into the spotlight, Lincoln hated slavery. He had seen it he had, in New Orleans. He had, he had seen it, and, and he was appalled by it and grieved by it. But he didn't know how to fix it because at that time it was understood that the Constitution protected it. And he didn't know how to solve that problem. And so he... He wanted, you know, I, what, well, what happened was when, when he debated Stephen Douglas, Stephen Douglas was a northern senator, and he um, uh, didn't want to debate Lincoln. But Lincoln, Lincoln's, you know, really settled it into simple language that people could understand, and he just went back to um, the Declaration of Independence, and he depended on that language. All men are created equal. And he he used metaphors to say, you know, whether you whether a king says, you know, you grow my crops and then I will eat them, or you know, you have slaves and you and you eat what they produce. It's the same thing. It's unfair. It's not right. It's not fair. And at first he didn't use any sort of or much religious imagery, but. I saw a man who just didn't know how to solve the problem, and and slowly he evolved. And honestly, he was, you know, if you, there are some early quotes of Lincoln where you just cringe that he said what he said. He was from that area, and it was absolutely uh, drenched with racism in Illinois. And And it, you know, it was just like as American as apple pie that, you know, this awful racism. So, I mean, he didn't even win. Sometimes uh, he didn't. He didn't win in his debates about with uh, with Douglas because Lincoln knew about the people who surrounded him. He knew that his electorate was going to move very slowly, and Lincoln was criticized for moving slowly, very criticized. Uh, he didn't really move fast until, you know, he was in the presidential seat. And, and then he had to move fast and emancipation proclamation happened and so forth. But um, I think he was, you know, he was of a mixed mind. He was both reluctant and he was also ambitious and, mm-hmm. um, you know, mixed bag. I came to really admire him very much. I, I admire the fact that he could, he was open-minded enough to change. And I think Frederick Douglass had a heck of a lot to do with that. Wow. There was one extraordinary story that came up that I didn't know. When Lincoln, Lincoln thought he was going to lose his second uh, race to keep the uh, presidency. It was 1864 and he called... Um, 
Frederick Douglass, he had gotten to know him, and he called Frederick Douglass to his office, and they, they discussed Emancipation Proclamation and so forth. But uh, no, it was after that. It was after that. And he, and he said uh, to Douglass, I don't think I'm going to win, and, and here's what I want to happen. I want you to organize parties of men to go down and bring as many uh, enslaved people as you can behind union lines because if I'm not if I'm not elected, the emancipation is going to go away and so forth. And they were concocting this plan, uh, which just <laughs> kind of amazed me. But I think that Frederick Douglass had an influence on his thinking and uh, would have continued to. It's extraordinary. It's such a great book and such a great conversation with you, Nancy, about it. And I hope I would our appetite for our audience to be able to pick up their copy. Again, everyone, best-selling author Nancy Horan has been our guest. The new book is The House of Lincoln, out now. You can get it through our friends at Amazon.com or your favorite local bookstore if they don't have it. I know they'd be more than happy to order it for you. Nancy, I really appreciate you taking out this time. How can our audience stay connected with you? Uh, you can uh, go to nancyharan.com, and uh, that's my author page, and see where I'm going to speak. I'm just t- uh, starting a tour, and um, you know I'm going to be in in uh, Pittsburgh and Lexington, Kentucky, and Cincinnati, and some places. Um, but yeah, I'll just uh, be posting stuff as I go. Also on my Facebook page, Nancy Haran Author. So. Uh, you'll find me if you want to find me, and um, I love talking to you, uh, and well, uh, you. I appreciate being able to describe my book to you. Well, look, the pleasure is definitely all mine, and looking forward to our next time for sure, Nancy, and we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Thanks as always. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live, and let's go make today amazing. Take care. <laughs> 